I love this time of year. How, yeah, me too. How many, I mean, I love this time of year. I love Christmas, and I love everything about Christmas. The Christmas traditions and the Christmas rituals, they're all, they're just so Christmassy. Christmas, this is a great word, Christmas and Christmassy. It's just so good. I love this time of year, and I love the rituals, and they're so special. And we have rituals right here at Calvary Church. We have Christmas traditions. We light the, we light the Advent candles. We sing Christmas carols. The kids get up here and sing the Christmas carols. In coming weeks, we're going to sing more Christmas carols. We have our Christmas Eve service where we all gather, and it's dark, and it's nice. It's just cool. It's Christmassy. And then we have Festival of Lights, maybe the ultimate Calvary Christmas tradition of them all. And it's the music, it's the choir and the orchestra, it's the sets and the actors and the tech people and the set people and, and the lights, the lights. I've been told there's over 200,000 lights in this sanctuary. Yes, and everybody loves lights. The lights go on and they're pretty and they're beautiful. They're lights. Look what I can do. Oh. <laughs> Just call me the clapper. <laughs> but it gets better. Oh. And then the piece de resistance. Boo! Yo! Yes! You see, everybody loves lights. Such tradition, so special, it's awesome. Okay. <laughs> now we're back to normal. Love the tradition, so special. But there's something else I love about Christmas, something that's even more special. And that's that as followers of Jesus, Christmas reminds us and it whispers to the world that Christianity is different than every other religion. Christianity is different, categorically different than every other belief system in the world. Because Christianity is primarily about Emmanuel, God with us. You see, in every other religion, Every other belief system, it is about man going to God. It is about man trying to pursue God. It's about man trying to get to God. But Christianity, and only Christianity, is about God pursuing man. God coming and reaching out to man to form relationship. Emmanuel, God with us. And this relationship culminates in God sending his son, Jesus, so that we can have relationship with him. Emmanuel, God with us. And this morning, the writer of Hebrews is going to speak to us about the reality of Christmas. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Hebrews chapter 8. 
Hebrews chapter 8. It's on the, in the church Bible. It's on page 971. And I encourage all of you to follow along with me this morning in a Bible. Page 971, Hebrews chapter 8. We have said over and over that the book of Hebrews is about a journey of faith. And Jesus became one of us to help us on the journey. And we've said you've got to stick with Jesus on the journey to stay on the journey. We've also acknowledged that the journey can be difficult. But we've said it's worth it because in the end, we will have eternal heavenly rest. This morning, we want to look at the reality of the journey. How God reaches down to us and relates to us on the journey of faith. In other words, what is the agreement that God has for us for the journey? Now, Hebrews 8 is a fairly long chapter. I'm not going to quite cover it all, but we have a long way to go and a short time to get there. The poet said that. That would be a Smokey and the Bandit reference. Oh, that's bad. That wasn't in the manuscript. So look at verse 1. Let's start there. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now, verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. Now, if you're like me, when you first read a passage in Hebrews or you hear it read, it can be confusing. Actually, if you're me, it can be very confusing. So let's dig down a little deeper. Let's go back to verse 1. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. The writer of Hebrews arrives at the main point. The main point that he is arriving at is the culmination of chapters 1 through chapter 7 of Hebrews. This is the main point. And the main point is this, he's saying. The main point is that we have such a high priest, and his name is Jesus. And what he's saying is this main point is a culmination of everything that we've learned in Hebrews up to this point, that Jesus is both God and man, chapters 1 and 2, that Jesus is also faithful, chapter 3, that he is merciful, chapters 4 and 5, and that in chapter 6, he is without sin, and because he is eternal, he is able to offer salvation completely and permanently. Two weeks ago, Pastor Bruce helped us understand chapter by 7 by saying Jesus is the perfect high priest who provides perfect salvation, completely and permanently. Now in chapter 8, the writer of Hebrews is going to further describe the work of Jesus. Look at verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received 
is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. The superior ministry of Jesus here includes his work as the perfect high priest who provides perfect salvation, but this verse also tells us that Jesus' superior ministry also includes his work as mediator. So Jesus is not only the perfect high priest, he is also the mediator of the new covenant. Now there is a connection between the two. There is a connection between Jesus being the high priest and Jesus being the mediator of the new covenant. You see, a priest is a mediator between God and between man. Look at how Paul puts this in the book of Timothy, in the book of 1 Timothy. Paul writes, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. But you see, Jesus is also a mediator of the new covenant. And as the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus goes beyond the role of a traditional priest. He does work as a priest who provides mediation between God and man, but he also is a mediator of the covenant, which means he gives the new covenant to you and to me, and he keeps us in the new covenant. So Jesus mediates between God and us, and he also mediates the new covenant to us and keeps us in it. Now, verse 6 doesn't just speak of Jesus as high priest and as mediator. Verse 6 also speaks of an old covenant and a new covenant. So I think it will be helpful for us to make sure we understand what the term covenant means. And covenant is simply an agreement. It's an agreement where promises are made. So when you see the word covenant, think to yourself, agreement. And with the covenant, there are always promises. So the covenant here is just an agreement with promises. And God himself uses covenants. After Adam and Eve first sinned, you remember Adam and Eve, they're the first two people that God created. And God creates Adam and Eve, and he essentially just gives them one rule. He says, don't eat the fruit of that tree. But what do Adam and Eve do? Adam and Eve eat the fruit of that tree. They break the rule. That's called sin. After Adam and Eve sin and mankind falls, God responds by making covenants. God responds to the fall of humanity by making agreements with the people that he created in order to bless those people. God used covenants to reach out to mankind to form relationship with his creation. The covenants were designed to reunite God and man. And here in verse 6, the old covenant that is being referred to is the Mosaic covenant. The old covenant is the Mosaic covenant. It was a agreement between God and the people of Israel, and it was designed to bring God and the people of Israel together. You remember the story. The people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt. They've been there for a very long time, and God calls Moses, and he says to Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, you go tell the ruler of Egypt to let my people go. Pharaoh initially doesn't like that idea. He's not going to let these slaves go. 
but God sends 10 miraculous plagues. And after those 10 plagues, Pharaoh says, hey, get out of here. And so the people of Israel escape into the desert. And after they're in the desert for about two months, God comes to Moses and says, hey, Moses, come up to Mount Sinai. I want to talk to you. And this is what happens when, God goes up, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. This is what God said to Moses. This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. If you will keep my covenant, So Moses goes back down off of Mount Sinai. He goes to the people and he lays out the deal. And he says, hey, here's the deal. God says, if we keep his law, he will bless us. If we do what God wants us to do and keep the covenant, if we keep the agreement, God is going to bless us. This agreement was between God and the people of Israel. And this agreement is the old covenant. And I want you to notice something about this old covenant. Two things. It is bilateral, which means it is between two parties. It is bilateral and it is also conditional, meaning both sides have promises. The covenant, the agreement is dependent upon the conditions being met. God says, if you follow my law, I will bless you. Bilateral, two parties, conditional. Both parties have promises or obligations they must keep. But now back into verse 6. We read that this old covenant isn't as good as the new covenant that Jesus mediates. The new covenant is superior to the old. Look at verse 7 and into 8. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. You see, the first covenant, this old covenant, this Mosaic covenant, had problems. It had two main problems. First, it gave no power or ability to enable the people to do what the covenant asked. It gave no, the covenant gave no power or ability to enable the people to keep the law. You see, in my flesh, I am not able to keep from sinning. In my flesh, I cannot meet the righteous standard of God. And the law, the old covenant, does not enable me to do that. Secondly, the old covenant does not provide for the full forgiveness of sins. It just covered up sin through a sacrificial system. The law does a great job pointing out my sin, but it cannot, and it did not, it cannot, it does not, it never will remove the guilt of my sin. It just points it out and lets me know, yeah, I'm a pretty bad guy. So the law had those two problems. But here's the good news. Look at verse 7. Again, if the first covenant had been faultless, look what the text says. If the first covenant would have been without fault, no place would have been 
sought for another. You see, someone was seeking. Someone was seeking, and that someone who was seeking was God. He sought out humanity. God sought out you, and God sought out me. You see, again, this is the concept of God pursuing man. He wanted a new covenant with new promises so that he could have a relationship with you and a relationship with me so that he could enjoy us and so that we could enjoy him. And it is so important that you and I, that we see God in this light, that we recognize that it is God who seeks, it is God who pursues, it is God who goes after us, it is God who wants relationship with us. God seeks relationship. So he creates a new covenant. He creates a superior covenant. Well, the writer of Hebrews doesn't leave us hanging. He wants to tell us what that covenant is. What does it look like? What's this new covenant? So he describes the new covenant beginning in verse 8. And he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, this quote that is in the, interestingly, is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament. And these are words that, that Jeremiah wrote that God spoke prior to the destruction of Israel in 586. You see, the, the kingdom was going to be destroyed, and Jeremiah, God, wanted to provide words of promise to the people. So he gives these words of promise, to prom the promise of the new covenant. And so what the writer of Hebrews does is he reiterates that promise and applies it to us. This is the new covenant that the high priest mediates. Look at verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. The Lord says, the days are coming. He says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. God is promising a new covenant. The new covenant would be made with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. But it is important for us to note here this morning that all believers in Jesus Christ, all of us who are on the journey of faith with Jesus, are part of this covenant that is described here by the writer of Hebrews. Under the new covenant, Romans 11 and many other New Testament passages ensure us that we as Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish followers of Jesus, us non-Jewish followers of Jesus are grafted into the new covenant through Jesus Christ. So all of us here this morning who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who are on this journey with Jesus, are parties to this new covenant. God has made the agreement with us, so we are party to the agreement, and we are party to the promises as well. Now, verse 9. Verse 9 tells us again that this old covenant is not like, the, the new covenant is not like the old covenant, 
the Lord made with Moses. And it's not like it at all. The text tells us here that the new covenant is superior because the promises it made are better promises. In fact, the old and new covenant are categorically different from each other. Remember I told you that the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, is a bilateral conditional covenant, meaning it's between two parties and there's obligations and promises on both sides. And in order to have the covenant fulfilled, each side has to do its responsibilities. In the old covenant, if the people would obey the law of the Lord, then God would bless them. And we know that didn't go so well. They weren't able to obey the law, so God wasn't able to bless them. But this new covenant is completely different. The new covenant that Jesus mediates is an unconditional covenant. Now write this down if you're taking notes. It is an unconditional covenant. This means that God himself binds himself to do certain things. He makes the promises, but the promises are not conditioned upon the actions of others. God acts. Remember I said the old covenant was a covenant of law? The new covenant is referred to as the covenant of grace because it is God who acts, not conditioned on anything that any one of us does. It's unconditional, and in its unconditional nature, it is also unchangeable and irreversible. This unconditional, unchangeable, irreversible covenant is a covenant that God makes on behalf of himself, giving promises to the people. And it is so superior. Look what it says in verse 13. The new covenant is so superior to the old that it says the old becomes obsolete and outdated. The superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant. Now, I've tried to think of ways to illustrate this, and I think I have a way to illustrate this that's going to help you understand the difference from the old covenant and the new covenant and actually remember it a half hour out of here. So here's the deal. Remember earlier we had the lights go on? Because we all love Christmas. And when the lights went on earlier, everybody kind of oohed and odd and smiled. That's because everybody loves lights. Lights are pretty. Lights are nice. Lights are beautiful. Everybody wants lights. But think about this. Somebody had to do something to get the lights to turn on. I clapped and the lights went on. But... I could have had you sing a song and the lights could have gone on. I could have had you stand up and twirl around and the lights would have gone on, but I didn't want to do that because I know some of you aren't very good dancers. But you see, somebody has to do something for the lights to go on. That's the old covenant. You dance and the lights go on. You obey the law and God provides blessing. The new covenant, God just claps and the lights go on. God acts. God makes the promises of the new covenant unconditionally, not dependent upon what you or I do. The new covenant is God's provision for you and for me. We get the lights. 
I love doing that. <laughs> That's the reality of Christmas. The reality of Christmas is that God pursues. God goes after man. God turns on the lights. But the lights are the promises that he gives to you and that he gives to me. So let's take your Bible and continue and let's see what the lights are that God gives us. And I want you to notice as we're going through these promises, notice the language that God uses. He uses I will language. There are no ifs that he uses here. It is not conditional. God says I will. The new covenant is not dependent on the faithfulness of man. It is dependent upon the faithfulness of God. God acts. So the new covenant, the first promise is found in verse 10. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Again, notice who's doing the work. God is. No if language. God promises here an inner understanding of truth. That is the first promise. An inner understanding of truth. The Old Covenant, it's a set of external commands and standards. In the Old Covenant, God put the law. God put the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone that were put in the Ark of the Covenant into the most holy place in the tabernacle or in the temple. It was an external covenant. The New Covenant is an internal covenant in which God puts His law in our hearts and in our minds. He does this by giving us the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and works this to God's benefit. Look how the Apostle Paul puts this in 2 Corinthians as he talks about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's kind of long. Stick with me. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, Look at this, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of what? A new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, that's the old law, how much more glorious is the ministry, new covenant, that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. What Paul is saying is that the new covenant is eternal. Internal, it is not external. God writes his law in our hearts and in our minds by giving us the Spirit of God. He turns our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh and the Spirit comes in us and it causes us to love God more and more and it allows us to be part of the covenant because it gives us an inner understanding of truth. 
which leads us to the next promise of the covenant. An intimate relationship with God. This is an equally remarkable promise. Verse 10, kind of at the end. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. God promises an intimate relationship. He promises an intimate relationship with himself for us with him. As followers of Jesus, the high priest who mediates the covenant, we belong to God. Now, I know that this is difficult for some of you, but you should no longer see God as a stern judge. He should be experienced as a loving father. Look at the language that is used here. I will be their God and they will be my people. As a follower of Jesus, you are no longer on the outside, distant from God. You are part of the community, not a stranger, not an alien. You are now a member of God's family. This is one of the biggest differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. Between the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. The law demands that we follow a set of rules to have communion with God. If we follow the rules, then God will bless us. We would, in the old covenant, need to conform ourselves to the character of God. But in the new covenant, in the covenant of grace, that grace says that God himself will bring you into his family. God wants an intimate relationship with you, and he's going to do it. It is God who is acting. It is God who is moving. It is God who is saying to you this morning, I will be your God, and you will be my people. The language, I will. No ifs, ands, or buts. God says, I will be your God. That's grace. First promise, an inner understanding of the truth. Second promise, an intimate relationship with God. Third promise. Have you ever heard somebody say they save the best till last? That's the way I feel about this third promise. Now, they're all really amazing promises. But this one may be the best of all. The third promise is found in verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and we remember their sins no more. In the new covenant, God promises the absolute forgiveness of sins. God has shown mercy and grace to everyone who turns to Jesus as high priest and mediator by forgiving and forgetting all of their sins. This is where the old covenant completely failed. At best, the sins of the nation could only be covered for a year. Animal sacrifice after animal sacrifice after animal sacrifice could do nothing to completely remove the sin. There would have to be a final day of reckoning and the old covenant had no power. But in the new covenant, God promises the forgiveness of sins. Although this may be the best promise of all, 
is perhaps the most difficult for us to believe. And that's because to believe this promise, there's two difficult things that we have to do. The first difficult thing that we must do is we must admit that we are wicked, that we sin. And notice my language here. It's not you sin. It's we sin. We must admit we are wicked. And the second difficult thing we must do is we must believe that God is completely able and willing to forgive and wipe away all that wickedness. Now, I've noticed that most people don't have any difficulty believing one or the other of those statements. It's difficult for people to believe both because there's some people who have a very difficult time admitting they're wicked, but they're very readily able to accept the God that forgives that wickedness. And then there's another type of person that is very ready to admit they're wicked, but that person has difficulty believing that God will forgive and erase all that sin. The key in this promise of absolute forgiveness of sin is being able to say, yes, I'm wicked, but God will erase all of that sin. That's the promise of the new covenant. That when you go to God through Jesus Christ and confess that sin, any sin, whatever it is, He is faithful and just to forgive that sin. There are three promises of the new covenant, and it is beautiful lights an inner understanding of the truth, an intimate relationship with God, and absolute forgiveness of sins. I'm wondering this morning how many of you are truly living in those promises. Because the reality of Christmas is is that God has made those promises to you. And it is God who stands by those promises. He is the guarantor of those promises. So this morning, I want you to leave this place knowing that you serve a God who pursues you, who seeks after you, and who promises you the blessing of the lights. Have any of you wondered why there's really no second covenanting party to this agreement? Remember I said the old covenant was bilateral conditional. You know why there's no, you know why we're not a seconding covenanting party? Because Jesus is. Jesus is the one who stands in our place, who came to earth and lived a perfect life, who died on a cross for your sins 
and for my sins so that God can offer these promises to you and to me. Jesus is the second covenanting party to the new covenant as the mediator of the new covenant. And there is only one thing, one thing that you and I have to do. And that is have faith in Jesus. You see, faith starts the journey. Faith keeps us on the journey. And faith in Jesus ends the journey. Remember, Christmas is all about Emmanuel, God with us. Have faith in Jesus.